0: Subscribe to our podcasts on Apple, Spotify, and
1: Google. Canuck Central Monday. It's Dan Riccio and Satiyar Shaw with you. We are a presentation of your local Grip Auto entire location friendly service and expert advice are waiting for you at GripAuto.ca today. We are winding
2: down from Game 7 weekend set. Woo! What a thrill. Yep. Man, and it was, it was I mean, because uh, I, I love hoops too. So yep. There were seven Game 7s this weekend. The basketball ones were yep. dreadful. I mean, the games were decided by halftime essentially. Yep. But the hockey, especially last night, my goodness. Two things
1: you can guarantee in a Game 7. If uh, these two are participating, it's a guaranteed L. The Toronto Maple Leafs and Chris Paul.
2: <laughs> I mean, how often do we say, hey, the Leafs will lose yeah. in round one? Listen, We, we talked all year. All yeah. year. Like, hey, the Leafs are great, but we know what's going to happen. They'll lose in the first round. They'll be down, and we'll be having this discussion about where they're going this offseason and all this <laughs> sort of stuff. It's <laughs> inevitable. It will happen, and it happened. You know, it's written. Life it is a circle. It has to occur. <laughs> yes.
1: Life is a circle.
2: But you know what? They got a lot more respect. And oh, as long
1: as they got respect. Man, I, that
2: line did not read well on Twitter. I'll no, say that much. I'll say this, and I brought it up, but in fairness to Sheldon Keith, he mentions it, and then he says, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. So but you kind of leave that part of it out, but it, it's the last thing you want to hear. It's like, you know what? In the handshake line, <laughs> they were not making fun of us this time.
1: They weren't pointing and laughing at us this time. Uh, that's uh, that's enough of that. Uh, no more Leafs talk, uh, at least for now. We'll uh, we'll bring it back up later on in the show. Don Taylor's going to join us at 4.30. After 5 o'clock, we'll have Frank Saravalli. We'll preview uh, the two series that are starting tomorrow, Colorado-St. Louis, also the Tampa Bay Lightning and Florida Panthers in the Battle of Florida. But uh, we start today. On your Vancouver Canucks, as it is Canucks Central, and it's never a dull moment when Jim Rutherford speaks anywhere. Whether it's yes. to the overall media, when he had our, his exclusive conversation with us, and uh, today uh, our friend Frank Saravali, who's going to join us later, uh, uh, had a interview with Jim Rutherford on the DFO Rundown, the Daily Face Off podcast and there's a lot to chew on a lot of continuations from what we've already been hearing from Jim Rutherford but you know the one thing is clear that is well should be settling for a lot of Canucks fans sad yes when as it's felt like they've had a bit of a live day-to-day type of feel for the last number of years Jim Rutherford, every time you hear him speak, seems re- like there's a lot of conviction in what they see for the future and how they envision the way things are going to play out.
2: And it's been a very consistent message. Yeah. How? I mean, it's funny because we in the media, we're talking about cap space, cap space, cap space, cap, 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 cap. cap. Yep. And people are like, stop talking about the cap. Who cares? <laughs> and now Jim cap Rutherford. doesn't matter.
1: Just win hockey games.
2: <laughs> and now Jim Rutherford, every time he's doing an interview and talk about next year, what does he talk about? Cap, 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 cap. We need more cap.
1: Yeah. We've got to relieve the cap. Yeah. We've got to relieve some cap space. And then we can think about doing some other things. That's the first domino that has to fall. Mm-hmm. And how they go about doing that is uh, one of the great questions everybody has. There's some different avenues they can take, but um, all of them, not exactly uh, smooth pathways
2: no and when you look at the business they have to do a lot of their business includes eating up cap space yes so it's it's not just a straightforward type of off season and he's made it clear in so many different ways they're not trying to take this massive step back but they're trying to build towards the future and it's not a one-year thing this can, this can take a couple of years before they get to where they want to get to well that was pretty
1: apparent you know it's um there was one quote uh in the interview where he basically says, you know, yes, we want to relieve cap space. but we don't want to take too many steps <laughs> yes. back. Like let's chill out here. Right. You're no, not trading everybody. I mean, we're not, yeah. you know, we don't want to take too much away from what we have already here uh, was one of the things that he said. And it falls in line with how we heard Patrick Alvine speak and the fact that he said, you know, We still want to move forward. So it's a delicate offseason where they try to open up some cap space and make probably some short-term inexpensive bets that they hope will work out to Mm -hmm. make them better and keep them at about the same level that they were this past year and give them flexibility for the future. That is an ideal – well, an ideal scenario is that they're guaranteed in the playoffs next year while doing the whole flexibility thing. But, you know – that's the delicate dance that they're trying to play here.
2: Yeah. Well, And it's going to be interesting to see which pathway they take because there are ways for you to, to some degree, have your cake and eat it too. Because what does Rutherford talk about a lot? What are you going to do with that cap space? It's to use it to go and acquire players. It's to make your team better. And he mentioned something we talk about so much. There are teams, good teams, that are in cap crunches that need to alleviate their situations. Yeah. And we want to be in a position to take, to take advantage of that. And in order to do that, we need more cap space. So what are you trying to do? You're trying to create cap space to get better. You're not just trying to create cap space for the sake of having it. So if they're able to get the amount of flexibility they want to this offseason, Dan, we're going to see a team that's going to use that to make their team better. They're not going to just sit there on, on you know, tens of millions of dollars in cash space and just just sit on it and just wait for two or three years. It's about using that in a different, more efficient way and getting younger players. This is something we talked about. Like, for instance, if you trade JT Miller and Mm -hmm. you get a bunch of assets, but then go out and sign somebody else, well, maybe you're replacing JT with somebody else who's pretty good and then you get a bunch of assets back in return as well. So there is a way of you getting better pretty quickly if you make bold moves you got to make the right moves um, and
1: make the right bets. You know, that's ultimately what it comes down to. You're going to take some risks somewhere, and uh, are you making the right bets in those moments? So I I felt that was super interesting to hear from Jim Rutherford. Uh, How do you feel about the message that Jim Rutherford is sending to you as a fan? 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text line. We'll get to some of those texts uh, from our live listeners as we continue to go through the show here. But as much as that is a focus, and we'll start to dissect some of those things that Jim Rutherford said, one standout quote is something we alluded to last week, Sat. If this team is going to get better, a lot of it has to come down to internal improvement from those players that we expect. Yeah. Elias Pettersson, Brock Besser, go down the line. And his take on Pederson was super interesting because there's a bit of a contrast to how they felt about the team overall and not splitting it into two halves. But with Pederson, it's a different line of thinking. Here is Jim Rutherford on the DFO Rundown
3: way he played in the second half is what he is. He's a terrific player. You know, he's a he, he's a star player in this league. And what you have to look at this year is he missed training camp. He had an injury that he had to deal with for at least the first half of the season. And to his credit, he got his game on track in the second half. And what everybody saw in the second half is what he is. If we can get a consistent couple of players to play with him uh, whether he's on the wing or at center uh, it's going to make it a lot better for him and that's what we're trying to work towards that we get more balance more depth in our organization where we can actually get lines put together that they can stay together uh, for long periods of time
1: so there is uh jim rutherford and there's quite a bit to unpack there um starting on petterson He is a star player in this league. Um, Much to the chagrin of Patrick Alvine, who said this team doesn't have any superstars just a couple
2: of weeks ago. (laughs) Uh,
1: I I kid, I kid, uh, knowing that uh, that quote was taken out of context a little bit.
2: Now they have a bunch of superstars. (laughs) Now they got
1: all the stars. Um, But it's Elias Patterson could play on the center or wing have to find him some wingers. All of those things were brought up in that one quote. But most of all, the player I saw in the second half is the player I expect to have for the start of next season. Mm -hmm. Essentially is what Jim Rutherford is saying.
2: Yeah, and why would you not expect that? Based on everything that we had seen. And even though what we saw from Pedersen, was the most productive he's been in a half season. What yeah. 50, was 53 points in 41 games, whatever it was. Um, you know, over 100-point It was
1: about point a 100-point pace.
2: 100-point pace. Pace, pace he was on the final half of the season. And he was absolutely incredible. He was on the PK. His two-way game came alive as well. But he can take another step. Mm-hmm. And with the full off season and being healthy and having confidence, what can that look like next season? That's your biggest, best avenue to being a far better hockey team. And... Them seeing Patterson be as good as he is, I think it makes it a bit easier for them to make some decisions this offseason, and especially about what type of players they want around him in order for this team to be better.
1: Yeah. That was one of the things that stuck out to me. We need to find him some consistent wingers. And he did talk in the interview about finding duos, and that's something that they did in Pittsburgh. You know, you want to find a at least one consistent line mate for, for your players and, and work around that. Didn't like, it seems the way that Boudreaux had to like constantly move through the lineup and try different combinations mm-hmm. as the season went on to see what would work. But it, it feels like they don't have what, or they don't think they have the player that gets the best out of Elias Petterson. The, the line mate that gets the best out of Elias Pedersen.
2: One, especially when him and JT Miller don't play together anymore. Yeah. And they had so much success the first year they were together. And if that's not going to be an option for a number of reasons, and the first being if they're going to keep using JT down to middle and have Pedersen down to the middle, then, well, it'll only leave so many spots. But if that's not going to be the thing, and as good as Besser and Pedersen have been at times, is that really the ideal duo you're looking for? Who's that player going to be? And that's what I kind of wonder. That if if let's say whether it's Bo or whether it's JT, if you can't come to an agreement, with one of those guys and one of those guys gets traded, that you use a cap space. Of course, of course, the assets coming back will replenish um, the defense. I think more than anything else, and, and give you flexibility. But with the money that becomes available, my guess is they pursue somebody up front. Yeah, that's
1: fascinating, and and could be beyond. Uh, we know they're pursuing Kuzmenko, but. What else could they go out and pursue? What else could be out there and available for them? Is that, you know, a young player in his mid-20s? Hello, Travis Konechny. Um, you know, what type of player is that that you're going out to look for for Elias Pettersson? That's that's kind of fascinating because Pettersson, he like we've seen him be a bit of a chameleon, Sat, you mm-hmm. know, like he can play a lot of different styles. Didn't really work with him and Bo when they first started playing together with Pedersen on the wing, but Pedersen started slowly to adjust his game and they figured it out. They were productive up until Horvat went down mm-hmm. with the injury. When he moved back to center, he was playing great two ways. Um, and playing with Connor Garland, you know, he became more of a shooter type because Garland was the one. Finding him in those good areas
2: right. in the slot, but my question here is: when you look at the postseason and you look at how the game gets played, I like Connor Garland. I'm not saying he, he can't be successful. Is that the duo you look at though? Look and say, look around the Patterson? league. Is that the is that the duo that's going to go out there in big playoff games and take you deep? I think, yeah, probably not. You know, and, and that's my question about the duo, too. It's not just about hey, how good are you in the regular season? If you're trying to plot out not just being good, but also being great and winning Stanley Cups and all those sort of things, you got to think, okay, what's also going to have success in the postseason? What's going to work then? And we haven't seen Garland in the playoffs to say either way, but based on his usage already and as much as he played more, he's still, still not being played at a front line level. like he's not yeah. playing at a first line level. So who's going to be the first line partner for him long term, if it's not JT? I don't know if that guy's on the roster. Maybe the guy on the roster that could be the best one is probably put Coles in long term. Right, because he can do So many different things that help Pedersen. He could
1: play heavy, he could be a bit of a playmaker, he could be a st- uh he's got a great shot, so if Petterson finds him in good areas he can he can finish those. Yeah, it's good it's a good point. You know, like the thing about Garland Look, I know people are going to bring up size, but like size doesn't equal success in the playoffs, right? It just it it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a lot to unpack there, but that's part of getting the fit. Didn't feel like they ever found a fit for Garland on any one line. So maybe that feeds into why they may be open to moving that player because... He fit on every line, but was there one fixture that they wanted? It sounds like Rutherford wants to have lines that they really build around, duos that they really build mm-hmm. around with their forward group.
2: And so, he said that, he, that they're still working on that. Yeah. Like they're not sure on it. And I just think once you have
1: Pedersen figured out and him at the top of the lineup, whether it's with Besser, Pod Colson. However they figure that out, that's where the build has to, you know, go beyond, Mm -hmm. right? Like, you're not—even if you sign J.T. Miller, you're not building this team around him, right? He is not—yes, he was your best player this year, but you don't project him to be the best player on the team throughout the entirety of his contract. You project Elias Pettersson as the guy that's going to— Be
2: the top of the pyramid with your forward group,
1: and everybody else falls in line beyond him.
2: Well, he kind of has to be, yes. Because if he's not, then who is? And if in and you don't have that guy, then you're then which was the concern of the first half of the season. Right, and then the quest becomes: okay, how do you upgrade on that guy? But you have to do everything you can to get him to the peak of his potential. And once you do, then you then you will be able to you know assess whether that's good enough for you or not, whether that's enough for him to be the best player on your team or. Maybe not maybe he's not who we thought and then you have another year to figure it out I mean he has two years remaining on this three-year contract yeah and as much as they like him like it really like it's pivotal I'm the biggest Patterson you know supporter you'll find in the media really as far as evaluate, liking his game and, and talking about how great he can be and the upside in his game but it's also about delivering yeah and it's about actualizing that potential and I'm not saying you trade him in a year But he's got two years with this new regime to show what that peak is. And it's got to be more than what this year was. It's got to be built upon. And it's got to be a level where they look at it and say, okay, this is a superstar we can build around and win with. And the next two years will determine how this organization will view him under this new regime that did not draft him. You're probably looking at a, well, (laughs) worst case scenario, you're in a situation
1: two years from now where it's kind of like Brock Besser. where like you got this big qualifying offer and you're like... Uh, you know, what are we, you don't want to be in that situation. You don't, you don't want it to be an awkward negotiation. You, you want, want to feel to, good about it. Yeah, you want it to be a home run. Like, okay, if we got to pay this guy ten and a half million bucks, we pay him ten and a half million bucks. He's a, he's an amazing player.
2: Yeah, you, you you want to go into it saying, you know what, I don't want to be paying, you know, what what guys like that get paid, but I do it because he's worth it. Yes, that's how you want to feel about it, and that's how you would project that situation. Uh, speaking of
1: negotiations, um, Brock Besser is fascinating in that we know the Canucks right now are in the process of negotiating with Besser and it's a situation that has a lot of well there's a few different outcomes right you have the qualifying offer at seven and a half you have the potential of just working out some kind of a short to midterm type of deal or you try and move on from the player. Um, Here is Jim Rutherford on negotiating with Brock Besser.
3: And we can fit his qualifying offer in next year. It's not like we're squeezed that we can't fit the 7.5 million in on a one-year deal. It, it would seem to me that it would make sense with him being as young as he is at 25, you know, to do have a deal with a little bit of term on it, but maybe not that that big long-term deal because, you know, if he did a whatever a two three-year deal, he's he's still pretty young to get his long-term deal. So, but we'll we'll get into that at some point in time, I'm, I'm sure they're getting uh, Brock and his agent are are getting prepared for what they think makes sense. And uh, same for the Canucks.
1: So when you, you kind of started to think about this whole situation, logically uh, Jim Rutherford is now kind of put it out there into the universe. Um, Yeah, we could do the qualifying offer, but at the same time, we think uh, working out a contract extension is probably the best way to go about this. But, if we have to, we'll we'll do the qualifying offer. We can fit it into our cap situation. And also, th- there was another little tidbit where he mentions, we could sign Brock to a shorter-term deal, and then he'll have another chance to strike a long-term deal mm-hmm. in a few years' time. You know, so he really understands where the pressure points are and almost how to sell a two- to three-year-term deal for Brock Besser.
2: Yeah, and I mean— it's interesting that he mentions we can fit the qualifying offer in. And when you look at the Canucks cap space, the amount of space they have remaining, and when you factor in Michael Furlin on LTIR, you're talking about upwards of 15 and a half million, 15 million or so in flexibility, which is enough for you to bring everybody back. Like, even if you give Besser 7.5, you can do so. You can, you know, sign your other guys, and you have still a little flexibility to add a couple of things here and there. Nothing significant, but, you know, fill your roster out and have a bit of cap space or at least have some LTIR room with Ferlin's contract. That can all happen. But what do you do beyond that? So, as much as. Yes, we can do the be- the better one-year qualifying offer. It's not what they want to do. Yeah. And it comes back to what we talked about for so long. It's a two- or three-year deal. That's how I see it. And I don't yeah. see it being that difficult to negotiate. And they'll haggle because that's what agents and GMs do. They'll discuss things. And in this case, it'll be Emily Gay, And that's something else that Rutherford mentioned in the interview, that Alvin is you know slaying the groundwork a little bit, but it's going to be Gay that's going to be taking over the negotiations specifically for player contracts. So... With Besser, the way I view it is essentially haggling over a few hundred K on a two or three year deal. Like my question ultimately is this, Dan, is it a two year deal at about 12 to 13 million? Or is it a three year deal anywhere from 18 to 19 million, yeah. maybe 20 million max? That's kind of how I view the Besser negotiation and just haggle over a few hundred K or a million here and there over, over a two or three year term.
1: Yeah, it's... Um... It comes down to those minute details. We know, you know, even with Patterson and Hughes, we all kind of knew where the numbers were going to sort of end up. It just took forever to get there, and you don't want that situation because this team needs cost certainty to a certain extent once you're going out and trying to figure out this offseason. I think that's part of why all of this is so important to get done quickly so you have some cap certainty and you have – a better idea of how to plan things out going forward and what you have available to you Mm -hmm. to make some moves going forward. And getting Besser done is probably the first in those dominoes and also then opening up some other cap space. How you go about doing that, still the big question, as I said, off the top. I think with Besser, you you still see a very good player. It's always been about consistency for him. But I think for the Canucks specifically, a two to three year, almost like another show me deal. It doesn't feel like it because he'll be making six million bucks. But I think for the team, Brock's going to have a ton of motivation and he'll be able to hit free agency at 27, 28. And look, can he be, He's not going to be Philip Forsberg, but you know, can he be a 30-plus goal guy in those two to three years, that's great for the Canucks. It's also great for Brock as he gets closer to unrestricted free agency. I love a three-year deal for Brock. because buys one
2: year of unrestricted. buys one year of UFA, and you you have two years for him to get to a point where you either feel good about signing him or he plays well enough where you can trade him for something really, really meaningful. Because if Besser scores 30 goals in back-to-back years, even if you don't want to extend him beyond... The next three-year contract, you're talking about a player who's going to get you a nice haul. And for me, the biggest thing with Besser is it's about getting a contract that helps increase his value as time goes on. Right now, Besser's trade value is depressed for two reasons: his performance this year, whether it's justified or not, because of the personal issues he's gone through. Of course, as we saw him, you know, really break down about his father and how hard you know that's been on him with with his health. The other one being his qualifying offer and his rfa status yeah but once that gets cleared up a little bit and next year he has a bit of a better consistent season and he signed for a friendly number let's say in the six million range or something that's a player that's going to have a lot of value for you all of a sudden it's just about it's about extending the asset and giving yourself two another couple years to make a decision on the player and uh maximizing that asset potentially in those two to three years uh over the next
1: couple uh besser done well will be done soon And Pedersen, those are the two big topics from Jim Rutherford. Also talked about JT Miller. Uh, He alluded with us uh, after the end of season availability that, you know, they're going to have to make a deal with JT Miller uh, when it comes to the trade market if the numbers get out of whack and did say that they'll have that figured out by the time the draft approaches. We'll get to some of those topics and how that impacts the Canucks' future planning as well coming up. Didn't want to get to some of your texts. We'll do that in the next segment. And Don Taylor will be joining us as well. But bet on hockey like never before with Play Now Sports, your local BC sports book. Stan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Let's do a little series preview here on the Tampa Bay Lightning oh. and Florida Panthers. Yes, the Battle of Florida begins... Tomorrow, Sat, and uh, right now, this is about as juicy a series as you can come by here in the second round outside of the Battle of Alberta.
2: Yeah, it really is, and the interesting thing is Tampa looks absolutely gassed. Yeah, like they look gassed. And as much as you know, we were talking about you know Toronto and how at times I felt like they didn't take Toronto as seriously. Mm-hmm. They're also a team that it looks like they gave everything they could in seven games to try to beat Toronto. But Florida has enough flaws that I don't feel comfortable picking Florida to win this series.
1: Florida can be a fire wagon sometimes. You yes, know?
2: like <laughs> their defense at times in their own zone is a bit of an issue. And one thing Tampa can do, Tampa, you know what Tampa can, at worst. Tampa can be a supercharged version of Dallas. Yeah. Where they play great defense, rely on goaltending, don't make a lot of mistakes, and then rely on some breaks to score. And they have enough talent to do so. Game 6 and 7 were great examples of that.
1: Um, With their backs up against the wall, they put together some fine defensive performances. And even when they broke down, Vasilevsky was there. He was great in overtime and was fantastic in Game 7. Where have you heard that story before with Andre Vasilevsky? They've got the goalie matchup sorted out. You know, I, I, look, I'm going to pick Florida to win game one of this series, but getting plus money on Tampa at 230 at play now sports doc, at playnow.com, I uh, don't think that's the worst play in the world to get a little bit of juice on the Tampa Bay Lightning in that series. Check it out, playnow.com. Coming up next, Don Taylor on Canuck Central. Canuck Central is a presentation of your local Grip Auto and Tire location. Friendly service, expert advice, waiting for you at GripAuto.ca today. So, getting uh, some texts in. 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text line from our live listeners. Canucks interested in
2: Philip Forsberg? What does a potential contract
1: look like for Philip Forsberg?
2: Oof, I mean, I know Merrick mentioned that name. Yeah. So, what which is also uh, love Merrick, but
1: like, how many teams are interested in Philip Forsberg? How many inter- are you interested in a forty-goal
2: scorer? <laughs> yes, of all of us are interested. I'll say this: like, cons- if if you are considering hypothetical, if you are considering giving J T. Miller say a seven-year contract worth eight million per season, yeah. And he's going to be 30 when he signs that contract mm-hmm. or when that contract kicks in. Would you be more willing to do that or give a guy who's 28 when next season begins that same contract? Hypothetically. Now, if, 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 if Vancouver has no interest in giving JT any contract along those lines anyways, then it's a moot point. But I'm just saying, hypothetically speaking, which one would you rather give that contract to, a 30-year-old or a 28-year-old? Probably the 28-year-old.
1: It's, uh, when you put it that way, it becomes a lot more interesting. Yeah, Because yeah. when you first hear it, it's like, well, they, it's impossible to do. But Canucks do have some big contracts that are coming up. Uh, we'll see how that plays out. Philip Forsberg, an interesting name, but uh, unlikely to be a Vancouver Canuck in the near future.
2: Are we talking about what, over $9 million per year? Yeah. Do you want some free agency? You
1: score over 40 goals, you're probably getting nine 9000000 mil. million. Don't see it. Uh I'd give our next guest uh, 9 mil. It's Don Taylor, the legend himself. Uh Donnie and Dolly, 10 to noon, Monday through Friday on Check TV. What's happening, Donnie?
0: Uh a whole lot. Just uh, got off the shift. Uh you know, I didn't really know what to talk about today. There was so much that happened uh, on on the weekend with hockey and it was uh, uh yeah. how many times do we go into any sporting event and um you know that it's hyped up and it doesn't live up to expectations. I think there were 5 of them that did live up to expectations and I think 4 out of the 5 exceeded them. It was just such a great NHL weekend. I can't remember anything like it. It was it was
1: so good. Oh man, there was uh so like so many storylines, uh close games especially yesterday both going to overtime, perfect for the game 7 atmosphere. And uh you know, I know as as much as everybody in Vancouver hates uh how much coverage the Leafs gets, the Leafs get Everybody was at least hate-watching the Leafs on Saturday <laughs> afternoon, Donnie, to make sure that they lost to the Tampa Bay Lightning. And then, you know, jumping for joy when the Lightning got the job done. It was it was the perfect weekend for a hockey fan in Vancouver.
0: I know you're trying to bait me here because, uh, you know, I've gone on record <laughs> about, you know, talking about the Leafs and how there's too much Leafs coverage. Uh, there was a, just a part of me that felt bad for the Leafs because, first of all, they've been knocking at the door, trying to win a series for a length. So, So there's that. But also, and I've said this on our show, like uh, you can hate the Leafs, you can love the Leafs. I don't know anybody who's in between. And I think when you're emotionally involved like that, that's good for hockey. So I, there was a part of me that was like, okay, Tampa won. Uh, did they deserve? I'm not so sure. The Leafs are out again, and we'll probably have fun with that you know, somewhere down the road. But at least with the Leafs, you feel hate or you feel love. I hate feeling indifferent. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with them uh, being out of it now, I'm a little less emotionally involved. So, so there you go. That's as close as I'm going to get to saying, I- I'm okay with the Leafs winning.
2: Uh, you know what it, it's also just about having villains it's great to have people you root against you know and and yeah. i think it makes it a lot more fun and, and i gotta say i mean he all in all honesty i mean i always root against the leaves but then the other part of it's like well i work for a company that when the leaves go deep it helps everybody out it, it helps the share prices so like it goes both ways like i always root against the leaves but i'm kind of with you it's nice to have a villain and somebody you hate rooting against rooting what, what
0: great great movie doesn't have a villain yeah you know, and sometimes the, the villains kind of like you. You kind of pull for them sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> you hate to say it, like The Sopranos or or something, something like that, or Breaking Bad. But it, it's every great story has a villain, and uh, I, I I was okay if the Leafs had won. I, I just felt on Saturday that there was no way that me as a hockey fan I could lose. If the Leafs lost, well, it's kind of fun to pick on them. And if they if they won, at least I'd be more emotionally invested. So, I, I, there was a part of me that felt bad for them, yeah, and bad for myself as an hockey fan.
1: So, you know, everybody today is saying, uh, "What should the Leafs do? Should they blow it up? They got to make some changes. They keep losing in the first round, on and on and on." Right? You know, one thing I think about, and Sat and I have talked about this, but when the Canucks lost in twenty eleven in the final. Mm-hmm how that shaped the next few years of the franchise because they overreacted to how the Bruins physicality affected that series. Do you feel the same?
0: With with the Leafs?
1: Um Well with the Canucks. I, I, like specifically well, like when when the Bruins beat them and everything that happened in twenty eleven, yeah, yeah. you know, they they wanted to be more physical and then they brought in Jim Benning. Like it just it, it created a kind of a domino effect of you know doing something because the team that beat you was more physical well, than you were.
0: Yeah, and especially when you think of the organization that Jim Benning worked for before the Canucks, it was the Browns, yeah. and I'm sure you know he went to a team. Um, and you can say what you want about old school hockey, but one of the one of the moments we all remember is the Brad Marchand, who was a rookie at the time, doing the punching bag routine with uh, Daniel. So yeah. I, I guess Jim felt it was necessary to get to get more physical, but. I just think somewhere along the way with that era, things—if that was going to be as focus, fine. But at least it would have been a focus. You know, I'm not so sure it would have been right, but it just the whole the whole era seemed seemed unfocused. And I think the thing that people forget about 2011, and I know eventually Mike Gillis lost his job, and I, I get all that. But I think the people—the thing that people forget all the time—is that that team won the President's Trophy the next yeah. year. It was pretty good and ended up losing in the first round. It seemed like a big upset at the time, one one versus eight, lost to an LA team that ended up not only winning the Stanley Cup that year, but in 2014 as well. Yeah, that Canuck team was still pretty good after after 2011. It's just that you know you lose in that first round, and it doesn't look good. But when you really think about it, that team wasn't that bad. And then and then Mike lost his job, Tortorella, and all that. And everything just became unfocused. And, Hopefully it gets turned around.
2: Yeah, I mean, and, and it's going to be absolutely fascinating to see what happens this offseason with a lot of these teams. And, you know, if they get super, let's say, antsy about their position and how desperate they might be. So I look forward to that. Now, before we move on to some mm-hmm. Canucks stuff, the Battle of Alberta, and like Marcus and Gibson's essentially asks, I think this is a good way of putting it, which team would you hate to see advance less in the Battle of Alberta?
0: Ooh, hate hate less. I I'd have to say I'd have to say, even though I'm always a sucker for a team that hasn't won as much as the other team, so you know, my instant reaction would be Calgary. But thinking about it some more, I, I want to see more Connor McDavid deep in the playoffs. And I, I don't want him to be one of these players because I just I just can't believe when I watch the guy, and especially when I watch him live, what what I'm seeing. I don't want him to be, and this is nothing against Phil Thurden or Marcel Dion or any of the players, but I don't want him to be one of these players who, he was one of the greatest all-time, but, and, you, you know, like like where he just didn't have a whole lot of playoff success. So uh, I think my answer would be uh, Edmonton. I want to see as much of McDavid, and let's soak him in while we can. I want to see as much of, much of him as possible.
1: We just we don't see a player be that dominant, like as dominant he's as he was in games six and seven, and eight, you could even say game five when they came back to force overtime, but eventually lost. McDavid was pretty was in on all of those goals, but it, it kind of felt like you know your star player on a basketball team taking over, right? Like MJ yeah. taking over yeah. a game for a bit and just saying no, we're gonna win tonight. That's it, and like that's that's what Connor McDavid did in games six and seven, Yet I, yeah. I can't remember seeing something like we've seen great performances, but I mean, <laughs> it's very rare. Yeah. You see an individual just put a team on his back the way McDavid did.
0: I, I couldn't wait for him to get on the ice. Like every time he went off the ice, I was disappointed and, and just l- looking so forward to getting, getting back on the ice. But I, I thought that that, that two nothing goal in, in game seven was really, really uh, different for him. It was, as as special as it was from a skill point of view, there's also a grittiness to it, like a real mm-hmm. playoff feel to that goal, bumping, you know, the defender off the puck, leaving Jonathan Quick in his wake, and the great picture of McDavid celebrating with Quick uh, on the ground, holding his head in his hands. There was just a real, real grittiness to it. I think he took his game to another level in that series. And, you know, um, multiple points in six of the seven games speak to that. So, yeah, it's 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 something special, and and I, I want to see more of it, and um, soak it in while we can, and I I I, I want to see more of that guy. And this is I, I have all the respect in the world for for Calgary, certainly Milan Lucic and everything that that group has done, but uh, and and Daryl Sutter, all of that, Dudro, you name it. But I just want to see more of McDavid deep into the postseason
2: yeah I'm with you there uh, with that Donnie I mean the fact that a Canadian team is getting to the conference final is a positive yeah. but I wanted for it to be Connor McDavid it's always the best thing in the sport to have the best player in that spotlight now uh, moving to the Vancouver Canucks a little bit here I mean uh, we have some we got some news from Jim Rutherford today he was on the DFO rundown podcast with Frank Saravalli who's coming up with us right. after you and also uh, your guy Rick Dollywall uh, and Donnie and Dolly had a chance to catch up with Rutherford and get some quotes as well it really stood out to you today from some of the things Rutherford had to say about Besser, Pedersen, their cap situation, and even what they might be looking to do with J.T. Miller.
0: Yeah, well, uh, one thing that stu- stuck out is that uh, Rick got a hold of him about five minutes before our show went to air. Yeah. You've never seen a more distracted broadcaster <laughs> in your life. It doesn't take yeah. much. Uh, but I-, I think the thing that stuck out for me, Miller, Pedersen, all of that was talked about. But one thing that was uh, was mentioned last week is that you know, it was hinted, we got a whiff of them really wanting to sign Brock Besser, really being open to signing Brock Besser. Mm. Rick's conversation today uh, with Jim hinted that maybe things weren't going as smoothly with the talks as maybe we thought they would be. So that, that to me uh, stuck out. I don't know if if that was uh, talked about with Frank uh, Cervelli or anything like that, but, but it was with Rick. And so that, that stuck out for me because, I just thought it was a natural progression from what we saw um, in his postseason uh, interviews where there was a personal issue. He still got 23 goals. And, okay, okay, of course, they they're going to give him another chance. But uh, today I got the sense that maybe things aren't going as smoothly as uh, we were led to believe last week. So that definitely stuck
1: out. It's it's pretty clear, like, w- whenever Rutherford talks, you know, the, the first priority for this team is – finding a way to open up cap space because they just don't feel they have the flexibility they need to be able to add to it right now, right? Like, they've got a little bit of cap space, but not not a ton, and so that makes things difficult. I think the one thing that is refreshing is, like, okay, they've got a clear plan on what they want to do. And not to say that the previous regime didn't, but sometimes it did feel like they were— Flying a little bit by the seat of their pants, yeah. right? Yeah. So it, it just it's refreshing every time to hear that conviction in the plan that the the new front office has.
0: Yeah, and, and cap space and you know better asset management. And um, you can say we you want about the zone exit press conference, but you know you love that Alvin did say that the days of us giving away our assets for nothing or losing them our UFAs for nothing, uh, they're gone. And so there there's way there seems to be a focus there um i i you know it's pretty obvious they want to get fast like like the penguins are so i guess refreshing i think you know that's where a team starts and what kind of a team are we going to be what's our focus going to be uh and i think first and foremost though no matter what your focus is you have to clear room in order to achieve that and uh that seems to be what what they're doing and uh, they bring back bruce and uh, you know at, at this point uh everything seems to be like i say uh focused so pretty pretty positive
1: it was uh, it was interesting to hear um, Bruce Boudreau um, be very open to some of the critiques that were made. Um, talking about the, I don't want to use analytics more, and I uh, really got to learn that stuff so that I can work on those things, and we're going to figure it out and get better for next year. It's just rare to hear a coach, Donnie, that show so much humility. <laughs> I don't know. My experiences with coaches is like, no, I'm right, and this is the way yeah. we do things, <laughs> yeah. right? <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, as they show you the door. Um, going back to covering junior hockey and right here. um And uh, also with the Canucks. But um, uh, yeah, and I think maybe part of it would be, and I'm, uh, you know, just, you know, you, you, you get handsome on things. You know, nobody comes out, really, really rarely do they come out and tell you things. But think about Jim Rutherford. Do you think he grew up with analytics and, and deep stats or anything like that? There's no way they stop the puck and wear a nice mask and, you know, cross your fingers sort of thing back in the day. Um, but yeah, I'm talking about him as an XMXL gold mm-hmm. trender, but he's, he's in his seventies yeah. and it's clear that he's, he has completely embraced a- analytics. And I, I get the hint that that conversation has been had with, Bruce Boudreau and Jim Rutherford. Hey, look! If I can do this, you can do it too, and it's really valuable. And Bruce Boudreaux, you can say what you want about him, about the way he, um, you know, uh, approaches coaching, and there's that wide open players coach type of uh, type of feel to him. But he's not stupid, and you can you hear it mm-hmm. in his interviews that he's a smart guy. And I also think he's smart enough to, to change when he has to, and at the very least, give it a try. And uh, it's, it's it was really refreshing to see somebody of his experience and age go, nope, I got to get better and I have to learn this and I'm OK with it. I, I thought it was, uh, it, you know, no matter what you think of it, it's really a good lesson and refreshing to mm-hmm. see somebody like that be that open to something that is to him pretty new.
2: Well, and it's not like, you know, Boudreaux all, all of a sudden has to become a rocket scientist and and be the preeminent analytical coach in the league. It's just a matter of, hey, do you have an open mind? And can you take into consideration things that can help them make the team better? And that's as simple as it as it really is. And one of the things that stood out to me from Rutherford, uh, you know, from from the quotes and also some of the things that he's been saying recently is, how much they're delegating responsibility. And we assume this, of course, when you see how big the front office is now and how each person has defined yeah. roles or whatever. But he's, he's made it very clear. Emily Castongue is going to be very much taking over the negotiations when it comes to the dollars. The analytics department's in charge of this. This guy's in charge of that. It really looks like, as far as the workings of the front office, they're delegating responsibilities really well. And, and it seems like the right track they're on. Well, I
0: mean, again, that speaks to focus. I mean, if you're the GM and or the president, do you really want to be involved with scouting, uh, doing contracts, player evaluation, coach evaluation, evaluation of your training staff, your equipment? Do you really want to do all of that? especially, I I mean, this is, I'm not, certainly not somebody who's against age, but as you're older, I think you should learn you know, that it's it's better to hire the right people, delegate properly. You're still the boss, but take some of the load off yourself, some of the pressure, so you can make decisions better. And I, I think that seems, the way, seems to be the way they're going. I mean, it, you know, and this is a little bit off the beaten path here, but I always find it interesting that the times that I've gone, and this happens in the CFL too, but it, mostly in the NFL, and you go down to a training camp there, and you realize that the head coaches, a uh, uh, Pete Carroll, a uh, Bill Belichick, the thing that they're best at, other than the obvious, you know, player evaluation and strategy and all that, but what they really do well is hire good people and delegate properly, and that's the way you run a you run a successful organization, as opposed to running around with your chi- uh, like a chicken with his head cut off, trying to do everything all at once. And uh, I always notice that with the NFL how. You know, the the, the head coach is almost has, has his rock star status, and 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 just he's more in charge of coaching the coaches than he is of coaching the players, and I think that might be part of the approach that they're taking here.
1: Uh, last thing, Donnie, before we let you go, uh, I was able to uh, pull off a grocery run during the first intermission of Leafs Lightning on Saturday. Uh, is, how impressive is that? That,
0: that that that's very good. That's very good. Uh, yeah. I don't know what was so pressing, but if you had to get it. Yeah, maybe a good barbecue. I'm I'm not really sure, but uh, as long as you didn't break the, the 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 law, there, Dan, I'm okay with that.
1: All right. Uh, you know, chips and salsa for a game seven never hurts, right?
0: Yeah no no you yeah yeah you should have should have done that beforehand. <laughs> good <laughs> on you. Yeah, good on you. I'm surprised it wasn't reported on.
1: Yeah, it's true enough. I I think I had the best game seven performance of anybody. Uh, thanks for this, Donnie. <laughs> All right, anytime, guys. Lots of fun. Uh, there is uh, Don Taylor. I was kind of surprised uh, at when I was able to pull it off, Sat. You know. <laughs> grocery run during intermission
2: yeah i mean for you to get it done that quickly so uh, you do live really close to whole foods and save on so which one did you go to both or one no just save on okay all right it
1: was a quick run but i didn't just like grab chips and dip like you did it was like it was like i need a a, i need a few things to like get me through the next Mm. little like few days and i want to do it in this next 15 minute time frame
2: so did you use the? Uh, it was the
1: most efficient run to the grocery store I've ever had.
2: So you're, like you're in the zone.
1: I was just in the
2: zone. So did you map out like the <laughs> like the blueprint of the store before you went out? And said, okay, it's all, I'm going to take the most efficient route. Yeah, and I'm going to grab everything I need in one fell swoop. It's all in the head,
1: you know. Like I know where I got to get my bread, get my chicken breast. Okay, get some ground beef. We're good. Eggs, good. Greek yogurt, good. Now load the, it up. The, the biggest
2: delay that happens at any grocery store. Is when you're checking out. Self checkout, baby. So you either oh. self checkout or you wait in line, and it depends on yep. what's going on. So you self checked
1: out. Self checkout.
2: Now, did you get lots of produce and stuff? You had to punch in as well. I only bananas,
1: and I know uh-huh. the I know it off by heart. Four zero one one. What a stud! You wouldn't I, have got I'm, it done. I'm really I'm, I'm proud of myself.
2: You know? Wow! Are you gonna better game seven performance than the Leafs? Now, sure. are you more proud of this or your calves? <laughs>
1: I'm just saying for like an average Joe like me, this is this is peak male performance,
2: right? Peak male performance. In yeah. and out of a grocery store. For Be, 15 being minutes. able to efficiently get a grocery store run done. I will say this though. I mean, uh, it's more time than people realize intermission. 18 minutes. Yeah. The worst part
1: about going, like you have to go to the grocery store with a plan. The worst thing you can do is go to, go to the grocery store without a
2: plan. Well, there are two cardinal sins. The yeah. first one being don't having a plan, not having a plan. The second one being hungry. Hungry. Yeah, never go grocery shopping when you're hungry.
1: <laughs>
2: yeah, I've made many mistakes when your uh,
1: when your eyes are bigger than your stomach.
2: Like, oh, this looks like nah. a great idea. <laughs> and you come home, you're like, I'm never going to make this. This is a great deal. Uh, all right. Well, I guess this is going to food bank.
1: <laughs> whole Foods would have cost Reach a whole paycheck. You got to be smart when you're uh, shopping at Whole Foods.
2: No, see, it, it really comes down to what you're getting. Yeah. Because there are things that are way overpriced. You can get cheaper somewhere else. Yep. And there's some things that are actually fairly priced that mm-hmm. are fine to get there. It's so true. It's the
1: underrated part. You got it. This is one thing about uh, really adulting is you know the different prices at each grocery store. Gordlock. Self-checkouts are D-bags. Support your cashiers. Damn it. <laughs> That's was Gordlock. Hey, Gordy. When time is pressing, the self-checkout is key. Stan Richo Satyar Shah. Frank Saravalli is going to join us. His takeaway from uh, speaking with Jim Rutherford is coming up next on Canuck Central. Get in the kitchen and cook up something weird.